Welcome to Wave Family Church. This is our sermon podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek God through His Word. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We would love to meet you. Or you can also visit us online at wayfamily.church. So what we're doing here is we're going through James and we're towards the end of the book of James. We Family Church is devoted to preaching the Word of God. We take the Bible as a whole and not holes out of the Bible because as we know, when we take holes out of the Bible, we run danger of thinking things that aren't so, right? And so what we do is we take it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we just see what the Word of the Lord has. And I'll tell you one thing, I confess, it's been a challenge for me at many times where I would definitely choose to skip over some chapters and some verses because they're challenging. But the Lord has, you know, used this to to bring me in closer to him. And, and it's been such a beautiful thing to, to really dive and dig deep into his word and to exegete what's, what's in there, to work out our salvation as a miner would work out those caves, digging out the riches that are found within. And so today we have a little bit of that and I'm excited to share that with you. We're gonna go into James chapter five and we're gonna look at verse 13 through 18. So I'm gonna welcome you or invite you to open to James chapter five in your Bibles. If not, you can read along on the screens. And before we read that passage, I just want to be honest and frank with you. You're probably wondering, who's Frank? (laughs) As I dug deeply into this passage here, it became more and more clear to me that this portion of Scripture is really not what I thought it was a while ago. And I've been really studying this passage, and the Lord has been gracious in revealing, wow, the riches and the beauty, as I mentioned, of this passage. This portion of Scripture is how to help with the traumas and the hardship of persecution and trials through prayer. Today is all about prayer. Now, if, if we uh, um, go back and remind ourselves, what has James been talking about so far? It's been a lot about trial and the testing of our faith. And trial means persecution, it means traumas, it means uh, 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 calamities in life that may happen. And it may happen because you're a follower, believer of Jesus, working his will in your life. Amen? And so this is, this is what James has been talking about. And I think it's very fitting that he now brings in prayer. So far, he hasn't really mentioned prayer much, but that's not because he forgot about what prayer is and the importance of it, but because he's making a point. He's building this, this argument that we have to understand, with these, these things, this picture, this imagery that we really need to understand, especially you know, if we are of the dispersed, let's say, because James is speaking to those who are no longer in Jerusalem. They have been dispersed because of persecution and other reasons. And so James goes and being pastoral, an elder of the church, goes and encourages them and, 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 um, and instructs them in how to do well by the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about trial, he talks about traumas, he talks about hardship, he talks about persecution. And now, how do we deal that? Above all, through prayer. There is power in prayer. It is not a matter that hyper-focuses in physical healing, as I once upon a time assumed. It's nothing more then prayer, it's prayer, 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 prayer. Nothing before or after this passage actually prepares us to believe that James is talking about a physical healing. This is not to say that God does not heal. So hear me out, I'm not saying that God is not a healing God. God is our creator and he has every power, all power to heal us from any illnesses. But this passage is actually not about that. 
And I'd like to introduce you to it if you're not familiar with it, and if so, follow along with me. But before I get into it, you know, this, the context that surrounds this passage is just sets it up so clearly. And this message makes it clear that the concern here is for the purpose of spiritual healing and not so much the physical. Spiritual weakness, spiritual exhaustion, spiritual depression, and all of this is dealt with, or Christians must deal with it must move forward with it through prayer. That is so important. It's important for us to come to the Lord, to have dialogue with him, to have relationship with him. Specifically, James discusses the relationship of prayer as the source of comfort. So there's comfort that's found in prayer, yes? Can you guys agree to that? When I come to the Lord, I'm comforted by him. We look at different examples of that through the Psalms. Those are prayers. You know, and, and when we do that, when we press into the Lord and we when we're just honest with him and we talked about honesty, we'll talk a little bit more about this here soon. But there's a comfort that we can experience through prayer. There's also restoration that comes through prayer. There's also this brotherhood that we develop and it's so important to have for prayer. It is better together. We've said that several times, right? When we come together and we pray, we are encouraged. We are reinforced. We are reminded of the glory of God because sometimes one is weak, but the other one may be stronger. And so when we come together, there's brother, there's this fellowship, and we ought to have that through prayer. And then we'll also see in this passage that prayer is powerful. It is powerful powerful. This is more than just having a conversation with somebody, or as sometimes we say, like having a conversation with God. This is a powerful thing because God moves within prayer. So that's just the, the outline for today of what we'll see here. Now, prayer is powerful, but it is not in our ability to say words, but rather in the one who has dominion of all creation. Amen. So let's turn to James chapter 5 and let's read this together, verse 13 through 18. And it says this Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save. The one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it may not rain for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Bow your heads with me, and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time that we have together, Lord Jesus, to press in, to be encouraged by one another. Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive from you. Lord, we're here because we know that there's life in your word and there's life that comes through the blood of jesus father and we ask that you would reveal yourself to us more and more and so lord help us continue to grow to be challenged that we would be effective in the calling that you have over our lives go and make disciples of all nations in jesus mighty name we pray amen, amen. <clears throat> all right 
So we see here that prayer is comforting. Let me walk you through this. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, I love this, and this is very important. I told you when I first read this, this is really a confusing passage if you just take everything at face value. Because if there seems to be inconsistencies and you kind of have to, you know, follow along and you're trying to do your best to see, okay, what is James actually saying? But if we go deep and if we go into the original language and we see what James is saying, oh, it just makes perfect sense. And I'd love to walk you through this. Is anyone among you suffering? This word suffering means to endure evil treatments from people. Now, this is a especially consistent with what James has been talking about so far. The Greek word there is kakopathel. I believe I'm saying it wrong because I don't speak Greek. But that means to be afflicted by someone. So this is not the kind of suffering that, you know, sometimes we wake up and we have a bellyache, you know? No, this is the kind of suffering that Jesus endured when he was put on the cross. When Jesus was walked through Calvary to to the, they call it the Via del Dolorosa, right? That type of suffering that was imposed on him was by others. He was afflicted by others. This is the word that James is using here. Is anyone among you suffering? This again, it's not a physical illness, but rather something that has been imposed by somebody else. Now, James has mentioned several times that the Christian is persecuted, right? He's mentioned that when we're doing things right, it it stirs people up to persecute us, to induce suffering into our lives. And Paul uses the same expression or word, let's say, in 2 Timothy 2.9. I'd like to share that with you. In regards, and this is here, in regards to a result of preaching Jesus, Paul says, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. So because Paul is going and doing the work of the ministry, he's suffering, he's bound in chains. The word of the Lord is not. This is the type of suffering, again, that is imposed by another person. It is afflicted through another person. And then again, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. James is very, being very clear through this passage so far. It is not if you meet trials, but when. He opens the book this way. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This type of suffering is to be expected as a believer. And Paul encourages here to endure suffering, to do the work, and to fulfill the ministry. And so this is very, very consistent with what James is saying, too. He's speaking to the Christians, Jewish Christians, who are kind of going wayward left and right, you know? And you see these examples of how they've mistreated other believers as well. We've had language there about their quarreling and their fighting. We've had language about different abuses that have been imposed, like abuses from wicked, wealthy people to the one who is the righteous person, and so on and so forth. And so some people in the church may be afflicted. Some people in the church are probably suffering. And you probably know what this feels like if you've been in the church long enough, because the church is made up of messy people. And sometimes we're wounded by one another. And sometimes we can relate to this type of suffering. And there's so many people, at least that I know, that won't come to church anymore because they've been hurt. And this is who James is talking to. Are you afflicted? Are you suffering? And so let's continue here. He says, let him pray. Oh, beautiful. James goes to instruct this. 
Let him pray. We must pray. If this is what we're experiencing, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now, again, this is all about prayer. This is the solution to everything as a Christian. Prayer is that important. If we're not praying, what are we doing? You know, we have to come to the Lord. We have to have that relationship with the Lord. We have to know him. We have to talk to him. We have to listen to him. We have to just continue to have that fellowship, walk with him and do things according to the will of God. James also has warned us against worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. How do we attain godly wisdom? Through his word, through fellowship with Jesus, by abiding with him. Bible makes it clear that we will know that we are disciples of Jesus if we abide in his word, if we have love for one another, and if we bear much fruit. We can't do that unless we're in relationship with our God, our creator. Do you see that? And so if you're afflicted, if you're suffering, pray, come to the Lord. And he goes on, and then James actually shares a, um, a um, Excuse me, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> Prayer is definitely essential to enduring affliction. Let every believer be certain of this. God is our ultimate and genuine source of comfort. Anything else is only going to be abandoned. But when we come to the Lord, we can be comforted there. We can be refreshed. Look at how Paul describes God in times of suffering and affliction. Look, uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3-4 with me. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's a lot of words comfort there. If you get the point that the Lord is our comforter, when we're experiencing affliction, we are only able to be comforted through him. And in that comfort that we receive, we're also supposed to reciprocate it to others and be that source of comfort for others if we can, if we may, if we're doing the will of the Lord, if we're reflecting Jesus as we ought to. Do you guys remember Jonah? Kids, do you remember Jonah? This guy right here, he was in deep trouble, wasn't he? Get it? Wah, wah, wah. You remember while Jonah was in the belly of the fish, the description there, the imagery that we have through this passage in Jonah, we see that Jonah was fainting away as if the world was just closing in on him. And at that point, he remembered to pray. It's like, come on, Jonah, why did you wait that long? You know, but he knew that at that moment, his life was over. He was it's just done for. It's just if you if you really just think and look through that passage, it seems that Jonah has just lost hope. But he prays. He prays to the Lord. And he says this in Jonah chapter 2, 7. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And if you see the rest of the story, the Lord comforts Jonah in a way that's not even fair. But yet he's comforted by the Lord and he's just an example of one who reached out to the Lord and the Lord was with him in that moment, just faithful in all things, being comforted by the power of God. We are experiencing suffering, perhaps. We are experiencing persecution, perhaps, affliction. Who knows what you're going through? But I can tell you this, many Christians endure this, and they endure this depending on where they're at. Some missionaries more than others, some folks more than others. It all depends on who's surrounding us. But we must pray. 
continually. This is our source of encouragement, of comfort, is prayer. And James also mentions an opposite disposition here, and I'd like to show you that as well. So he says, is anyone among you suffering? He mentions the suffering, but then there might be also the cheerful. And he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Anyone cheerful? In other words, after all the trial and persecution that these particular people might have endured, there are probably some who are still cheerful, who have already experienced the comfort of God through prayer, let's say, right? Or they're enduring and they're doing it well like Paul did. And now he's asking, are you cheerful? Are you suffering or are you cheerful? He says, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing praises. To sing praises is to thank God, to lift his name on high, is to give him glory for all comfort given. To sing praises, those are psalms. Psalms are songs of praises. It is a form of prayer in and of themselves. If you read the psalms and if you read the praises that David proclaims to the Lord, those are prayers. He's communicating with him, right? He's talking to him. He's acknowledging him. He's, he's being grateful. He's really pouring his heart out. And he's, he's just encouraged and, and strengthened by the Lord. And he rejoices in that. And we have different forms of, of psalms as well. We have some of thanksgiving, some of praise, some of lament, right? But nevertheless, to sing praises or to psalm to the Lord is to pray to him as well. And so we see this beautiful example of this in Acts chapter 16. If you remember, um, uh, for those of you who were with us when we did the series in Acts, I think most of you guys weren't. But there's a time when Paul and Silas were in Philippi and they're incarcerated. They're, they're bonded. They're in jail. And in this moment, look at what happens here. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So even though Paul and Silas were bounded in chains. What was their disposition? They prayed to God. They were comforted by him, so much so that they start singing hymns to the Lord. And I can only imagine that scene. Can you? There they are. And there's fellow prisoners with them, and they're singing to the Lord. And I wonder what their song sounded like. But I bet you they were beautiful, and I bet you they were genuine. And what I like about this particular section here says, and the prisoners were listening to them. And so not I, I don't think that Paul and Silence were, were the only ones who were being comforted by this moment of praise, but those who were listening as well. Have you ever heard a song that's just really shook, shook you? Like it's really encouraged you to sing praises to the Lord is also a sense of comfort, even if it's coming from somebody else. And so you can edify someone else with songs of praise. And I hope that you were comforted by the songs that we've sang today. You know, that's one of the reasons that we sing along is to give God glory, but also it is comforting to our souls. And so if you are cheerful, sing praise. And then Paul, uh, not Paul, sorry, James transitions into prayer and how it is restorative. And so let's look at that portion there too. Restoration through prayer, verse 14 through 15, he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This passage, in my opinion, is very misunderstood. Doctrines and denominations have been formed through this verse. Okay, But what is it saying? What is James fundamentally saying here? And I think it's important. At first glance, it appears that this verse is all about sick people. 
and how they can be healed uh, through the prayers of the elder. And again, I'm not discrediting that. <laughs> I'm not saying that God doesn't heal people, but I don't think this is what James is saying. In fact, let me share with you why I don't think that to be the case. First, again, we should never take holes out of the Bible. If we zoom out and we look at this passage in context, he's not talking about sick people here. He's talking about people who have been physically afflicted, let's say, or spiritually, not physically, spiritually afflicted, or even physically from the persecution that's been happening. This is the, the train of thought that James has. And so when we look at this and we look at the context and when we look at what James has been talking about this, this thus far, this makes perfect sense because James hasn't mentioned anything about illness or sickness, but he has been talking a lot about evil treatment in the church, both who dish it out and who receive that evil treatment within the church. He's mentioned it very intentionally. The result of evil behavior is everywhere here. He's hit on the importance of steadfast, or being steadfast under trial because trial can crush you, right? He's hit on the consequences of falling into temptation because when we fall into temptation, we sin. And he's also talked about the outcome or the product of a person who responds in anger. That can be extremely destructive not just as the person who speaks in words, with words of destruction, but the person who is afflicted by those words as well. He's also spoken of the hurtful practice of favoritism. Imagine if someone's expressing favoritism against you, that's a very painful thing. He's also talked about the result of fake or a false faith. That's also very dangerous. It can be deceiving for us to think that we're saved and we're far from it. And so he's talked about those, those particular uh, issues that need to be addressed. He's also talked about fighting that results in worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom says, you want some of this? Let's go. Right? And they quarrel and they fight. And then the words that are used in this passage make it clear. This is not just arguments, but some of them were physically engaging with one another. They were fighting one another. Can you imagine the people who get beat up by others, Christians? That's, that's terrible. That's afflicting right there. There's a tremendous damage that can be caused also by defamation or slander. And James has hit on that. So if we continue this train of thought, and these are just a few examples of what James has hit on. If we look at this passage closer now, we go to the original language and it says this. Is anyone among you sick? That word sick is asthenel. It means weak or feeble. Is anyone among you weak? Is anyone among you feeble? Is anyone among you powerless? This is what he's saying. Think of the word weak. It could mean a couple of things. In fact, I'm going to give you some examples. Can I, can I get that first picture up there? If you're weak, it could mean this. It could mean that you're actually physically weak. Something's wrong with you. Something happened and you need to be cared for by someone else because you're weak. You are physically powerless, right? Something has happen to you. It could be illness. It could be uh, uh, a disease that maybe is attacking you or whatever it may be. There's this kind of weakness. There's this kind of sickness, let's say. But then there's also this. I'll show you another one. Where you're so weak that you just have nothing left in you. And this is not because you're sick or ill necessarily, but because you're spiritually wounded. Do you know that feeling? Where your disposition is just so downcast you're emotionally or spiritually wounded to the point where you become so vulnerable. Okay, I think this is what James is talking about right here. This is very consistent with the context of the passage. And he's asking, is any, if you are weak, if you are sick in this matter, 
He says, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray for you. And this Greek word here for, for, for sick, I know it can be very confusing, but if we look at it, it's, it's absolutely, it makes sense. Are you weak? Are you troubled? Are you currently vulnerable because of that? Because you are discouraged, because you're downcast. This word is also used in several places. Now, that first example of weak is used in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the New Testament 18 times. The second example of weak is used in the New Testament 14 times. So we have a pretty good use of this word sick or weak, astineo, right? So what is James using here? If we put it into context, it makes perfect sense. Look at Romans 14.1 that also uses the same word for weak. As for the one who is weak in faith, Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. This is talking about a spiritual weakness. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 12 says, Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Again, this is a spiritual weakness. This is the same word that James is using here in this passage, chapter 5. And the best example that I have for you today is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. And it says this, since, and says this but before I read that, since it generally describes weakness as a result of sufferings of life. So look at this. This is very consistent with what James is saying. He says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. James is, or, or Paul is not saying here, For when I am sick or ill, then I am strong. Paul is saying, when I got nothing left in me, like that picture of Elsa there, then the Lord really shows up big. That's the word weak that we see here. That's the same word that we find in this passage in James. And so I believe that James is talking about this. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Now that makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't I call a doctor if I'm sick? But instead, he says, call the elders of the church because the elders of the church, think about them as described in the letters of Titus and Timothy. They are strong spiritual people. They are mature in the faith. So if someone is weak, you can come to an elder, someone who is above reproach, that that person would have the ability to restore you because the person who's strong in the Lord is going to pray according to the will of God. And James has already talked about that, how we need to pursue God's will above ours. And sometimes we get in the way of that and we pray for things and we wonder, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Because maybe it's not the will of the Lord to answer that prayer. That passage in Psalm 37 is beautiful. He says that he would give you the desires of your heart, not necessarily the things that you want, but the desires themselves. When we press in, when we abide in him, when we look for him, when we have relationship with the Lord, the elder is someone who's mature in that. And so if you're weak, if you're sick spiritually, call the elders of the church. Doesn't that make perfect sense to do? Be encouraged by one another. Take on each other. Walk together. Pray for one another that that person would pray that you would be restored, whoever that injured person would be restored for the sake of Christ and for the sake of that brother. This is so beautiful, and I think that we need to really consider that and do this as believers. If we are the stronger, the more mature Christian, we have to pray for our brothers and sisters. And if we're feeling sick, if we're feeling injured, 
Let's come to those who are stronger and let's ask them to pray for us, to help, us re- to help them restore us. It's so important. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of relationship with anybody, someone who's strong in their faith when you are not. You know, the Lord has blessed me with a beautiful wife. And there's moments, and you probably can relate if you're married, when I am down, she's right there to encourage me, to give me that helping hand that I need, to remind me of the truths of the, of the Lord, right? Because when we're down, we tend to forget things. It's like we have this, this brain block, like we no longer understand what the Lord's will for us is. And so she's there to encourage me and vice versa. When my wife is feeling down, I will do whatever I can to remind her of those truths that are found in the scriptures. They still stand today. They're not dependent on how you're feeling. They're not dependent on the result of whatever you've experienced. The Lord is true yesterday, today, and tomorrow and forevermore. And so you have this beautiful relationship that happens here through praying, through coming together, and to seeking the strength of another believer. And I believe that this is exactly what James is saying. And here's the other thing. When you're feeling spiritually weak or exhausted, when you're feeling weary or, uh, let's say, depressed, you know, we need to seek that person who is able to remind us of those very important truths. And the elder is a good example of that. Look in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul gives mention to this essential practice. He says, brothers, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We'll talk more about this next week, actually. But this is the kind of attitude that we need to have with one another. And so it's important that we devote ourselves to prayer, that we that the weak would be lifted up by the strong or with the help of the strong. Amen. And then. This is just a beautiful picture of that restorative or restoration that comes through prayer. And in addition to that, James goes on and says, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I also found that this is not a ceremonial anointing as you would imagine sometimes. Maybe you have imagined that, maybe you haven't. A ceremonial anointing is like what you saw uh, when Saul was anointed to be the king of Israel and David was also anointed. The anointing, the ceremonial anointing, anointing was a representation of the spirit of the Lord that fell upon that person. That person was set aside for something. This particular section here, though, is not talking about a ceremonial anointing as it is uh, uh, the anointing of, as you would say, rub, to rub on something, to help somebody. Like, for example, Mary, she anointed the feet of Jesus, and she rubbed the feet of Jesus with that perfume. You know, the women went to anoint the body of Jesus after he was buried. That just means to treat him, to care for it, and to be loving in that regard physically, right? and to care for the wounds of the person. This is the call that we have anointed them with oil in the name of the Lord, as if though the Lord was there caring for that person's need. Can you imagine that? If you're afflicted, if you're wounded, and someone shows up and cares for you and treats you and is there for you to encourage you, not just that, but to look after your physical needs, that's beautiful. You know, and I love this about Way Family Church is that we've had the opportunity to do this, especially with our sister who just underwent brain surgery, which is amazing, right? It's, you know, it's so overwhelming. And some of you experienced it firsthand when you went and saw her. She didn't know how to thank the church. For her, this was more than beautiful. She said, I have no words. This is so beautiful for me to even just say thank you. It deserves more than that. But you could see that person's disposition just be encouraged 
and be stirred you know, to understand the love of God as if though the Lord himself was there, present, ministering to that person. And so we need to be there. We need to be available for one another in the name of the Lord. And it says in verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has also committed sins, he will be forgiven. Again, this is just perfectly in line with everything that James is saying. If we read this now, this word, this is not necessarily a word of faith kind of prayer, but rather a genuine belief that brings salvation. So when we're restored, when we're broken hearted, when we're restored, you know, Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You know, this is the kind of restoration that we see here. And if he has any committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Wow. Okay. So you see this spiritual brokenness that James is talking about. Now there's this redemption, this restoration that can happen. And so if there's forgiveness that needs to be sought, there's forgiveness to be found. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And James just makes it clear that we need one another. We need to be together so that we could restore one another, not just physically, but the spirit really needs restoring sometimes. Sometimes we need to be encouraged. We need to be committed to one another in prayer in this regard because it does such a beautiful thing for your brothers. And that's the next thing that I want to talk about is the brotherhood that we have through prayer and how important it is to be in fellowship with other believers and to pray for one another because this, this is how the Lord designed it. I imagine that this is why he sent the apostles two by two so that they could be encouraged by one another so that one would not fall and the other one could be there to give, be that helping hand. That's what I imagine. Okay. And so here's what it says. Therefore, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. That therefore, you've heard it said, when you see a therefore, you got to ask what the therefore is there for, right? Now, this marks a transition in the flow of thought. So before, James is specifically addressing the one who may be afflicted and the one who is called to help the one who is afflicted. Now he's talking to the general congregation, the congregation as a whole, and he says, confess your sins to one another. In other words, it is not good or helpful to privatize our sin. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we do uh, sinful deeds, and what we try to do is we try to stuff it. We try to hide it from everyone. James is saying, confess to one another. Have those conversations. This goes back to our sermon last week. We have to be honest. We have to be forthright with one another. We have to have um, any falsehood set aside because it doesn't help the Christian life whatsoever. But instead, be real. Be clear. Let your brother know what you're struggling with and pray for one another. All right, because this is restorative as well. This is comforting as well. This is the way that the Lord moves in our lives. Proverbs 27, 17 says that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. This, again, is a call of honesty, to honesty to one another, to set aside falsehood and that we should pray for one another. And here's the thing, though. If your brother's being honest with you and he's confessing something, how do you deal with that? You don't point your finger at them and tell them, oh, you're a terrible sinner, for you are as well, you know? And James said, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Like, we have to be aware that we too are sinners. Je uh, Jesus speaks of this in Matthew chapter 7. Hey, think, think, consider the log in your eye before you even uh, poke at the, your neighbor's uh, eye who only has a speck in it. We have to self-reflect. We have to understand that God has called us to one another so that we could be able to encourage one another in spirit and in truth. Okay? And so we continue 
in that. And he says, he goes on to say that the reason that this confession or this brotherhood is, is important and prayer for one another is also so important that you may be healed. Now, this is so good. Again, I don't think this is talking about a physical healing per se. Again, God is big and he can do that if he needs to do that and wants to do that in the moment. But I think that this text makes it clear that we're looking at a spiritual healing. Now, I also don't want you to think that, okay, uh, like this is, no, I think this is really about physical healing. It, it, it may be, <laughs> but it's pretty clear here. It is really a spiritual healing that the Lord seeks after. Look in Hebrews chapter 12, 12 through 13. The writer also uses this similar words to describe a spiritual healing and restoration. He says in regards to how Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, through the discipline of the one whom he loves is an expression of his love for us. He says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak, weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And this is looking, looking like very physical language, but this is an expression of our spiritual health. And he, the author of Hebrews makes it clear that our spirit is what needs to be healed above all things. This is the, what lasts for eternity. And so again, not necessarily about physical healing, but all about uh, spiritual healing. And then also, 1 Peter, look at what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Same word used by James. Again, if we confess to one another, if we're praying for one another, there's healing power in that. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's restorative. It's comforting. It's healing. I hope that you're seeing and following, uh, following along with me. And so pray for one another. We will be restored. We'll be forgiven. This aligns beautifully with the entire letter of James. It just makes perfect sense. And so we'll continue here and we'll look at the power of prayer. And I'm going to be brief in this section, but prayer is quite powerful indeed. It says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, this is super encouraging news. This is awesome. That means that uh, prayer works. Right. James is telling us that prayer has power it means he can accomplish much through prayer. But it says here, the prayer of the righteous person has great power. Oh, so there's a difference between the prayer of the righteous person and the prayer who's not necessarily righteous. The prayer of the righteous person can accomplish much more. It is very strong. Look at what Proverbs 15, 8 says. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Hmm. Interesting. There's definitely a difference between the wicked and the righteous here. Proverbs 28, 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Fascinating. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And then previously also in James chapter 4, verse 3, he says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So I think that it's safe to say that weak prayers or weak people pray weak prayers, yes? And strong people pray strong prayers. And there's a difference between the two. And James is calling us to be righteous so that 
the, you may experience the power that is found through prayer. And so, again, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful. And then James gives this awesome example of the power of prayer. And he says this in verse 17. Elijah was a great man or was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three days and six months, it did not rain <clears throat> on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, what he's saying is Elijah was a person just like you and I were, except for he was a righteous person. And so his prayers were heard. And it's amazing. At first, this, this illustration that James would use didn't really make sense to me. But now, as we put it into context, this illustration is perfectly beautiful. Wow. He's talking about this man who had a nature like ours. He was a person but was righteous, and he prayed fervently. That means he prayed without ceasing. He prayed with prayer. That's how that word is literally translated. He prayed according to the will of God. And so this beautiful example that we have here about uh, the drought that comes, this was not Elijah's will, but rather the Lord's will. And Elijah prayed for the Lord's will to happen. And so, again, I keep looking at this in the, this ex the explanation or the illustration, this picture that we have here is about uh, uh, rain that falls into this parched land. We know what parched land feels like here in Arizona, you know, and James is saying that it may not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain over the earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth <clears throat> bore its fruit. Now, again, this picture here is that of a refreshment, is that of a thirst that is being quenched, is that of death that is brought life through this rain, this life-giving rain. Now, if you guys have ever visited our website, you'll see a picture of a monsoon. And if you saw back there, we have Way Family stickers, and it's a picture of a, of a storm, of a monsoon storm. And I'll tell you what, because I've, I've been asked this uh, several times, why do you have a storm as your kind of like your main picture thing? It, it doesn't make, it's kind of gloomy and dark and whatnot. Well, if you know, if, if you've lived in Arizona, I know some of you guys who are now in Mississippi have lived in Arizona. Arizona is absolutely dependent on the monsoon rain. The monsoon rain is life bringing to the desert, the parched and barren desert. There's life here because of those storms that come in. And if you see them, they're powerful, they're mighty. You're reminded of the glory of God when you're underneath one of those monsoon storms. Ooh, you feel the thunder, right? The chain lightning is amazing. Everything about it just reminds you of the glory and the power of God. And so this deluge falls on this parched desert and it brings life. And what happens after those monsoon rains? There's beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful landscape that you would never imagine would come from a desolate desert. Let's say you have these blooms that are bar none. You have these birds and animals that show up and then all of a sudden this desert is full of life. It's green, it's beautiful, it's refreshing to experience a monsoon after a three triple digits, you know, heat. It's just one of the most beautiful things. And James is using such example to, to, to illustrate what God's doing here. When we pray, we're restored just like those rains restore a parched land, a barren land. We are refreshed. We are comforted. We are restored, you know, in the strength of the Lord. And then there's new life. Now, this all comes from James, the half-brother of Jesus. I do not imagine that Jesus didn't start praying until he started his ministry. 
I'm quite sure that James had a great example of prayer or for prayer. And I'm quite sure that James understood that Jesus went to the Father for everything. And Jesus sought the will of the Lord in everything. And we have beautiful examples in Scripture of how Jesus presented himself before the Lord. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray, we find him. We experience the Lord and it's beautiful. And this is what we're saying here. This is what James is saying here. There's power in prayer. And it is the kind of power that we need. We need to be refreshed. We need to be restored. We need to be healed. And that comes only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so I'm just going to give you a couple of takeaways and we'll end this. First one, we need to be praying for one another. Don't stop praying for one another. We have prayer cards. You can submit a prayer on the website if you want. We're dedicated to praying for you. If there's something that we can pray for you, let us know. We need to pray for one another. And likewise, pray for us. As pastors, as ministers, as missionaries, pray for us so that we would continue to function according to the will of the Lord. Mature Christians should pray continually for the younger Christians. And the younger Christians should go to the mature ones to be restored. You see that? <clears throat> Now, I'm going to tell you another quick story. I know I'm going long. It's okay. You're here for this. <clears throat> I, have a, I have a mentor. He's my oldest friend, meaning that he's literally old. <clears throat> he's like high 80s, I think. And he said something to me that is so crucial, and it stuck for, it's going to stick for me forever. The military is so prudent with their soldiers. If they have wounded soldiers on the field, they will go and they will recover them. That's what you do except for the Lord's army. The Lord's army leaves wounded soldiers on the field often. When I heard that from him, my heart broke. It's like, no, this is the challenge to the church. Let's not allow our wounded brothers and sisters to remain out in the field, not taken care of, but instead let's go to them. Let's anoint them with oil. Let's restore them to the Father that they would experience that restorative salvation in Christ Jesus, amen? Takeaway number two. Prayer is comforting. It is restorative and powerful. It is essential to the Christian. Let me read you a quote from Martin Luther. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, you know our hearts, and perhaps this is so timely for some of us feeling that we're wearying at the end, Lord Jesus, of ourselves, but when we are weak, you are made strong. We ask that you would move in this town, in this family, that you would restore the brokenhearted, those who are wounded perhaps from persecution for things that just have been inflicted by others. Or forgive us, Father, if we have caused those, in, those, uh, those calamities, Lord Jesus, to our brothers and sisters, Father. We ask that you would forgive us. Your word says that we will be forgiven. Lord, help us be diligent with our time with you. That we would not forget you. We would not set you aside, but that we would come to you first and foremost in everything and all things. For you are a comforter. You are a friend. You are our Savior. And so, Lord, help us make this difference. Help us go 
make disciples and recover even those who are fallen right now, who are hurt, who are wounded, that they would experience your restoration. I know that you've called us for great things, Lord Jesus, but we absolutely cannot do it without your strength. So be with us, Lord Jesus, every step of the way. And thank you for this beautiful fellowship that we have here, that we're able to depend on one another, that we have liberty to have meaningful conversations, gospel discussions, that we would be able to express our hearts to one another for the purpose of restoration and reconciliation. Keep moving in this place. And thank you for the life that comes to the blood of Jesus. Amen and amen.